Photographs and Memories, a Travel Market Life series sponsored by Atomize. My memory maker today is Peter Gersler. Peter is the Group Head of Travel at Collinson's, where he is responsible for shaping and delivering the strategy for their suite of travel products. Peter has over 25 years of experience in the travel sector, having previously worked for companies such as IHG and EasyJet, for whom he launched a number of significant ancillary revenue streams, such as Speedy Boarding and EasyJet Plus, the first paid airline loyalty program. Peter is an alumni of Lausanne Hotel Management School, the London School of Economics, and Henley Management College, and is a keen amateur chef and wine enthusiast. Photographs and Memories. Peter Gersler, welcome to Photographs and Memories. Thanks, Michael. Good to be here. So you've shared three photographs of places, people uh, with us, moments that are particularly important to you, whether that is personally or professionally. Uh, During the course of our conversation, we'll dig into each of these photographs and find out why they are important to you. You'll take us on a journey through time and reflect on the significance of the moment. But before we explore the stories behind the photos and the souvenirs, please tell us how you came to work in the travel industry. Um, Why? So that's a long time ago, so I need to dig deep. Um, I I come from a family that um, has nothing to do with travel, but uh, my mom is Swiss and we have a lot of relatives in Switzerland who worked in the hospitality industry. And as such, I got interested in in hospitality uh, as a guest, but also really as a... um, um, just as a, as a job, I found it fascinating, and the stories that people then told me about their own travels in in their careers fascinated me. So I went to when it was to, I had to decide what to do in life. I went to hotel school and um, landed in hospitality. Had a big career in hospitality itself in hotels, and then went on to do other bigger, smaller, different things in in travel. Yeah, so you started off in hotels, and then you sort of pivoted to 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 airlines, to and 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 travel in general. How did that come about? Well, two things. One is hotel industry is great, but the longer you work in it, the more you realize it's great if you're a guest, or it's better if you're a guest. It's a really really hard business, and actually, it's. To a degree, whilst it's exciting, it's also limiting because typically hospitality means you're in one place, by and large, cruise ships excluded. Um, and there's more to travel. There's, you know, the journey itself. People say, you know, the the the, the, the journey is the key thing about the tra- travel, not the destination. And I kind of see my career in the same way and I see travel in the same way. That is not just about where you're going, but how you're getting there and back. Interesting. And your first photograph is actually of a, of a plane, uh, a very special plane. Um, yeah, please describe that to us and, and explain the importance of it. So, you know, it's probably obvious that a guy in travel would pick a very, you know, explicit travel uh, photo as, as one of their pictures. Um, Concorde, whilst I've never flown on Concorde, it has a lot of a lot of memories for me because it's it, it's a trigger first and foremost and it's a good embodiment of kind of for one of the deep held loves i have in in, in travel that is in aviation um concord actually I, I have a memory believe it or not of seeing the first ever concord landing in new york city that was in late 1977 um i was born in the u.s and 
had moved to Europe by then, but we were, as it happens, just kind of back in New York visiting friends and family. And um, that was on Long Island near JFK, at least under the flight path. And there was a big, big thing being made about Concord uh, touching down at JFK for the first time. And my dad wanted us to see that. So he took us somewhere where allegedly you would see Concord or kind of near the fly path. And uh, so I watched Concord land for the first time. And it was, uh, the main thing I remember is the noise. It was just tremendous. It's just, it was, it was almost too loud, but it, it started that love affair of things in the air basically for me. And it started my love affair for aviation. And you could argue maybe that started my love affair for travel in the first place. By that time I hadn't made up my mind about what my career might be. At the same time, just to book bookend this, uh, the picture I took is actually of the last ever flight of Concorde as it lands into Heathrow Airport. Uh, that was on the 24th of October, 2003. And I took that picture out of the living room of my first flat in New York, uh, in New York, I say, in London. Um, it was evidently also near the flight path. Um, that was not a choice of when I selected the apartment, but in hindsight, that might have been subconsciously. Um, so yeah, again, it was clearly on the news at this time. Exactly, Concord would make their last approach into into an airport. It happened to be Heathrow, so clearly, camera at the ready. Not a very good camera, you can see. It's a bit hazy. So I try to get as close up as possible, and um, and take a picture of that very still very noisy aircraft. Um, and you know that concluded a very important uh, phase in aviation. And um, it just almost reaffirmed my love for aviation. And as it happens, then um, a good uh, four years later, I joined uh, an airline company to do a significant piece of work. Very interesting. Now, you and I worked together at uh, UTEL Pegasus Solutions, and um, I don't know if it was coincidental, but our offices were in the in the flight path, the Heathrow flight path, and we'd often see the the Concorde flight fly Again, over and you hear it more than you see it but absolutely so actually actually you know what i should have made that connection michael of course it's also a feature of our our time together at the same company i, I can still actually remember that last um, that last flight and uh, um yeah i was i was working late peter so i wasn't at home i was in the office when that flew over <laughs> hold on that's a daytime picture in october so that Oh, hold on. That means I've probably skived off. No, you know what? I probably took a day off formally, officially. <laughs> I'd like to now. So you're you're a you're a um, an international uh, person by by birth, but you 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 were born in the U.S. of Swiss descent, German descent. Um, tell me a little bit about that. Uh, how you came to to be born in the U.S. and 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 how come you've moved around? as much as you have so uh, pure coincidence if you want my dad and mom happened to live in the u.s at the time i was conceived i suppose don't know they don't tell me the details but certainly when i was born so i happened to be born in the u.s um and but my dad being of german extraction always wanted to move us back for kind of the significant part of one's growing up or one's adolescence kind of schooling and everything so after after you know seven eight years in the u.s we moved back to his home area in germany near near heidelberg frankfurt the southwest of germany and i have my schooling there um in my every summer when we were in the u.s my mom being of swiss extraction took us for our summer holiday 
back to this to Switzerland to reconnect and to connect with the family there. So I always had that close connection to Europe. But equally, I spent a lot of time on aircraft in a in a, in a way, at, and um, I, I sometimes try to th remember what it was like, as you know, in the mid seventies or late seventies or early eighties of traveling on aircraft, and I, I actually failed to really remember great details. But when I see a picture of an aircraft interior of the time, you know, memories come flooding back of what it was like, and 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 how how awful it actually was to a certain degree not not awful but how how raw it was compared to what it is today in terms of just overall product quality the noise the the just also the movement of the aircraft the the speed i can't really say i don't i don't really know but it was it was it felt like a like it, you know, it felt like a picture. Like if you watch a movie from the late seventies, and it's slightly grainy and everything. It's kind of that, and that was the flying experience then. Mind you, I was a kid, so I really didn't care. And my parents probably were hoping that I was sleeping most of the time, which I don't know. I probably did. We always took um, because you know it's what, it wasn't inexpensive. We always flew via Iceland. So my dad, because uh, living in New York, uh, there was a route via Iceland with Iceland Air. Or, or Lux Air, even at the time, Luxembourg Air, that took us via Reykjavik with a, either a, just a few hours stop or sometimes an overnight. So we would spend a lot of time, well, we would spend time on that route and then sometimes in, in Iceland doing a stopover. The main feature that I remember there is always very cold, obviously. Uh, no points, extra points for that anecdote. Um, but equally, it meant that we had to, it landed in Luxembourg, not in Frankfurt. So we always, at the end of a, at start and end of every journey, transatlantic journey was a bus ride. So it felt a bit incongruous at the time. I think looking back, it felt, it feels even more incongruous, of course. But, it, you know, it's a memory. It's a, it's a treasured one because, you know, that was time with my parents. That was, you know, actually hovering between the two continents that mean the most to me, the U.S. or Americas and Europe. Your second photograph is, uh, I'm guessing, taken in one of your exotic locations, possibly in a, in a city, New York, maybe. Uh, please, please tell us about that one. Absolutely, there can only be one. So, I mean, it's a mural. Um, it's a mural of Blondie, uh, one of the most iconic, I would say, and one of the best uh, representatives of, of of New York pop, rock, punk, whatever you want to call it. Um, um, but it represents a lot of things. So one of it is, of course, the memory of New York. And whilst I can't truly call New York my home, I treasure it enough to, to go there every year, really, once or twice at least. Because, you know, there's this saying about either you love it or you hate it. There's no in-between with New, New York. And I, it's probably obvious in which camp I fall. You know, I, I, I love it to bits. I, I love the spirit of the city. I love the... Although, again, I've, I've never really had to feel it as such. The resilience of the city, you know, the post-9-11 um, um, esprit of, of, of New York is something that I just, I don't know, I, I, I probably i am dreaming this, but I believe it's kind of also in me to a certain degree. I also love the idea, I'm a big city boy fundamentally. I live in London, I lived in, you know, a little bit in New York, and in, in Germany I lived in, in a big city. Um, there's that that dichotomy of having everything at your disposal, so activity, but also isolation. 
and in a big city you can always do both and that that kind of fascinates me you're 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 in control you can do everything in a big city because everything is there there's restaurants culture sports everything there's people if you want them but equally if you don't if you want to shut that all out you kind of can and new york can be a very anonymous place if you let it be and you know having the ability to switch between the two modes is i think something that's that's great and um Definitely New York's going to be the first place I'm going to visit uh, after this whole COVID mess is over. So I can't wait. And uh, so, so you've mentioned a lot about cities. Do you actually go to um, non-rural, uh, sorry, non-urban non destinations when you travel? Or is, or, or is it always an urban destination that you're looking to, to go to? Uh, that's, a, that's a great question. And actually that allows me to, to weave in a picture that I wasn't allowed to submit because I, I'm terribly bad at making decisions and narrowing down. So I actually submitted more more pictures than my allocation. Um, the picture would have been a, an Adobe church in the southwest of America. And um, for me, that represents kind of the other part of me that really, you know, why I love travel. Actually, that, that, that difference between a city and then the great outdoors. Um, and the southwest of the U.S. is a place that my wife and I love to bits. We go there, you know, reasonably frequently. Um, it's about landscape. It's about, again, isolation. But it's also about, you know, a different kind of history, if you want. Landscapes, you know, especially big open places, they also have history, um, but of a very different kind than a densely populated area. Um, also, the southwest of the U.S. specifically is all about road trips. And that notion of road trip and, again, the freedom and, you know, being in control um, is something that I just love or we love. Um, add to that having an RV, a Winnebago or a camper van where you, you know, that, that, that actually there goes our retirement, basically. That's exactly what I want to do. But, every, but with, with some city life somewhere, in, at least within one or two days of driving, yeah, so you don't go stir crazy, <laughs> completely <No>. stir crazy. <laughs> and and I know that at, um, when, when you and I were working together, and actually you you took a, a year sabbatical and travelled the world, if I'm not mistaken. Is that right? Yeah, absolutely. So, again, um, you know, it, people are in travel because they love to travel. And, um, you know, normally kind of in a working life, you only have a few weeks per year where you can really do that, and half of them go – you have to sacrifice for family stuff or for fixing the garden or something like that. So having the ability, and we were lucky that we had, the one had the ability, but other had the guts to say, you know what, let's just give up everything. Let's quit our jobs. Let's sell our home. Let's just go and explore the world and see where we land afterwards. That was extremely liberating. And, you know, it's, it's a scary thing to do. If I think back at the time when we made a decision, I remember how frightened we were and how unsure we were and how how doubtful we were about whether this was the right soon would we ever land on our feet again and of course well spoiler alert we did it all tends to work out um and we had the best time ever and actually as it happens that's kind of a nice segue into the the third picture uh, of a cake um so we did this this trip this trip actually that we did started with our desire to to um, to celebrate our tenth wedding anniversary, and I, you know, just kind of out of fun, at one point said, "You know what? Wouldn't it be fun to do that kind of at Everest Base Camp?" 
I have no idea why I said that. I'm not, I'm not a mountaineer by any stretch. I said, you know, wouldn't that be fun? And they say, okay, we'll get there. We did a bit of research. That takes three weeks and you need another week left and right to just, you know, recover and accommodate and all that. So that's five weeks, but mm, that eats up all your, your annual holiday. And then from that emerged that thought, you know what, could we not just take time off? What would that look like? Da, da, da. And then it, basically that, that, that sabbatical, basically. It's, it wasn't a sabbatical technically because that means you can go back to your previous job. It was just a timeout that we took. And I mean, that cake is actually, I hold very warm memories of that, if I may indulge you. Um, so this cake was presented to us on our trip to Everest Base Camp. It's a three-week trip. You shower, well, you don't shower at all, basically. This was on the way back from Everest. So we had just scaled the highest point of our journey, about 5,660 meters. Um, this was on the on the very the end of the day, first day back down in a place called Dengboche, still about 4,700 meters high, completely isolated, just a few huts where we would overnight. It was foggy. It felt like a Scottish moor. It felt like straight out of Macbeth. And with us were our porter, a guide, a friend who we've made um, on, on the trip, and then some some Greek fella who happened to overnight there in that tea house as well. And we were just having our usual dinner of lentils and rice or whatever they, you know, they give you. Very good, by the way. Um, and then out of nowhere, again, this was the evening of our wedding anniversary. Somehow the, the, the guy knew that that was the case. Don't know how, I forget how. I probably told him evidently, but they came around from the kitchen. And again, this is in the middle of nowhere. There's no bakery anywhere. They came with this cake. They must have schlepped this cake up. They must have had it with them all the time or schlepped this cake from, from down below to meet us basically at that place at 4,700 meters in the middle of nowhere, presented us with that cake that, you know, reads happy 10th wedding anniversary. And, you know, we were, I get tears. I well up now if I think about it. And then, so we, 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 we divided this cake clearly with everybody there. The porters normally don't eat with you, but we invited the porter in to have a piece of cake. Also that Greek fellow who was sitting somewhere opposite, who was wondering what the hell was going on said come on over come on over he didn't speak very well english but he got the idea that something was celebrated he also got a piece of cake and he was so thankful and the porters were so thankful because they were included in this social activity of a bunch of westerners and they just you know it was super heartwarming they celebrated us we could celebrate them and it was again it's a it's a very treasured memory it's amazing, and it, it speaks volumes about the, the, the positivity of travel. Obviously, they, they, we can talk for, for hours about how travel has negative impacts on certain cultures and, and places, but um, without doubt, it, it, it brings people closer together. It, it, it's exactly that. So, you know, the kind of the, the tagline I would have that is love, kind of love and, and kindness and, and humanity. And, you know, it's expressed in the little things. It's not about grand gestures. It's the small things that really matter and that, that kind of bring that to the fore. And there's definitely one of them. And, you know, that if that in itself should be a reason for people to explore beyond the borders of their own little worlds. Definitely. So so did you manage to get to all the places that you wanted to on, on the trip? Or is there some place that eluded you that you would like to go back to? Well, I mean, it, it wasn't an entire around-the-world trip. and. Uh, but 
thankfully, because you wouldn't want that. You know, I think there's somebody had a saying about you should always. I think that oh yeah, there's it's a, it's it's a blessing. I think it goes something like may all your wishes come true bar one. So you always have something to strive for, to look forward to. And I love that. And it's the same with travel, really. You don't ever want to be in a situation where you have seen everything, apart from the fact that's probably not possible technically. But on, on everyone's bucket list, you should never, ever see everything because that, you know, it, 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 it closes off. It's not, it's not a good idea. So get back to your question. Um, we deliberately focused on one part of the world, so kind of Southeast Asia, Asia. We were going to go to Japan. This was 2011. And in March 2011, the uh, big earthquake and subsequent tsunami and subsequent destruction of Fukushima uh, power plant happened. So Japan, although this was would have been probably three, four months later, Japan wasn't a great place to go not because we were afraid of kind of the environment and everything, but just because it would have felt insensitive. So that was a big, if you look, draw a map of how we were going to travel, that was always, is a big detour basically that goes somewhere completely random. We ended up going to Perth in Western Australia, which we hadn't planned. Um, but actually because of my love for the great outdoors, you know, if you, that was there definitely. And that was a, a great time we had there too. Fantastic. It's amazing how often uh, Japan has come up as, the, as a destination people would like to get to on the series. Incredible. Oh, we're nearly out of time. We did make up. We, we went, we've been there since, so uh, we've seen it, but not enough. So we need to go back. Always leave something wanting. Fantastic. We, we are nearly out of time. Um, so I, I just want to thank you for, for being our memory maker today. Uh, but before we wrap up, um, you've brought along a souvenir. It's an interesting one. It's a little collage. Uh, please, please tell us about tell us about it. Uh, it's maybe it's people feel it's cheating, but for me it isn't. So it's a what's well, as you can see, it's a bottle of uh, uh, wine and a plate of pasta. And food is travel is important to me, but a lot of people who love travel love food as well. They go hand in hand, and I always make a point of bringing home a food-based souvenir that could be a bottle of wine um and of course 9-11 ruined it for us to actually carry like a whole case in your hand luggage unfortunately so it's now just a bottle tucked between old sweaty t-shirts and underpants in, in the suitcase um so either a bottle of wine or you know some some food that is indigenous to to where you've visited and and again it's it's about taking your travels back home with you and I think that's very important as well to, to retain that connection and that, again, extending the memory for want of a better word. Um, so that's my kind of representation of my souvenir. Fantastic. Peter, it's been an absolute delight having you on the show. Thank you once again for sharing your photographs and memories. It's been really, really good. I really appreciate you allowing me to do that. Thanks a lot. My pleasure. Thank you. Photographs and Memories, sponsored by Atomize, produced by Haynes Marcoms as a Travel Market Life series. For more, visit travelmarket.life.